What's happening, everyone? Welcome into another episode of the Final Score Podcast. Greg Swatek of the Frederick News Post Sports Department here with you. Hope everyone had a great 4th of July week uh, and enjoyed that extra day off of work. Uh, on this week's episode, we'll talk uh, baseball with uh, the GM, uh, the general manager of the Frederick Keys and the uh, Spire City Ghost Hounds, the newly named Spire City Ghost Hounds. That, that's Andrew Klein. He's been on the program before. Always a good guest and uh, anxious to have him back on. We'll, we'll talk all things minor league baseball in Frederick, as well as the future of minor league baseball in Frederick in terms of getting an affiliated team back. Uh, so looking forward to having Andrew on in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but first, as always, for our opening segment, my colleague uh, here at the FNP, Alexander Dacey, joins me. And, and we, we, we got some stuff to talk about, too, sir, because uh, the Major League Baseball draft is coming up with Joey McManus. Uh, also, clearly, the minor league season's in full swing, and you had a chance uh, to go up to Harrisburg, PA recently and talk to Trey Lipscomb, uh, one of the top prospects uh, for the Washington Nationals, uh, Lipscomb being the uh, Ur- Urbana High graduate. How, how's Trey doing up in Harrisburg? He's actually doing really, really well. He's hitting, I, I've not checked his stats since I was up there uh, a couple days ago, but he was hitting right around 300 in about just three weeks worth of action. You know, what I mean, and it it's just kind of something you've seen every you know you know at every level. He just seems to fit in right away. Uh, you know, he got he got called up. Uh, I believe it was June 9th. He had a uh, he was a South Atlantic League Player of the Week at Wilmington, uh, and then he was he was doing well and got you know seemed. I don't know you know I don't know if I was ex- I don't think anybody was maybe expecting a call up per se, but uh, uh, Brady House behind him was ready, and he was obviously playing well enough. So they're like, we'll bump you to Harrisburg and. He did quite well. Hit a hit a home run in the game I saw uh, last Thursday. So he seems to be settling in just fine. What well, what was the like watching him play? Uh, it was. I mean, it was. You know, it it, it was. I guess kind of what I expected. You know, um, he he didn't have really too many. I don't even think he really had any defensive plays. Actually, he 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 yeah, he was on the receiving end of uh, of, uh, of catching a guy stealing. But other than that, he didn't really not much not much at third. But uh, hitting wise, I mean, solid two for four. Um, you know, scored a couple runs, uh, again, had the homer, you know, just, just a really solid kind of all around, you know, all around contributor. And what was your takeaway from talking to him? Uh, how settled into this professional baseball lifestyle has he gotten? I, I, he, he told me he's more used to it now. And I think, you know, I, I, I did even straight up ask him, like, you're basically moving around every like, you know, two and a half to three months. And he said, you know, he, well, a little bit with his, with his college days at Tennessee, he got s- some sort of you know feel for all the moving because of all the road series they they'd have to go play uh but now in, in the minors it's uh they, they changed it so instead of two series a week it's one six game series per week um so with that you know he's he kind of was getting into the groove of that and because now the teams uh, uh the, the the teams put 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 the players up in apartments and stuff like he didn't have to worry about getting any of that settled like when he got called up they uh he said they were in uh they were in greensboro north carolina and they're like hey we got you a plane back to wilmington like go get your stuff and then just go to and then just like go, we'll, we'll get someone to take you to harrisburg and then you'll be in the lineup the next night i'm like we already have an apartment you know ready ready for you so a lot of the like i guess sort of back-end logistics uh you know he doesn't have to worry about now so he's just kind of going where you know going wherever they need him and he said he's kind of just used to it at this point. I mean, he's he's coming in at the right time because the lives 
of minor league baseball players have been improved intentionally so by major league baseball but but if this was a couple of years ago uh i mean it what it might not be the same experience for them right and i mean you know with the the new cba that was signed uh, earlier this year they now have a much higher uh you know it's still not you know obviously what what the major league guys make but it's a much much higher baseline salary right uh in, in you know in the minors and again they they now they now cover um housing uh, and I know the, the Nats had, I think, had been doing that for a couple of years anyway. But they, all the teams now now will uh, cover housing, uh, and again, you get you get your salary, and I think you you also get some. I think you might get another stipend as well for like you know food or meals or something. So he he's he's got a you know pretty is a pretty nice situation, I guess, to step in at least, or much better, like you said, than it would have been a couple of years ago. Um, and the, the one thing he told me was his uh, his roommate uh, at both uh, uh, Wilmington and. Uh, and and Harrisburg is James Wood, who is the Nats' top overall prospect, and he's a he's an only native. Um, so is you know they they have a nice sort of they they were able to sort of keep it you know keep keep them together. So again, he's not like sort of bouncing around meeting new you know he's meeting new people obviously, but it's not you know it, it, it's not like a total uh, you know random situation. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm sure Trey recognizes that his life could be a lot worse right now, but mm-hmm. but, but 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 did he talk about that? about just the timing of his situation, like how it's better that he's doing this now than a couple of years ago. I did not ask him that specifically, but I, the, the, the sense I got was that like, he seemed to just sort of, you know, I, I don't, I, mean, I think he sort of has begun to appreciate just sort of everything that, that goes into it. And, you know, he, he even, the, the one that I guess like aspect of my early life that he told me he thought, which has kind of changed his perspective was that, um, like when he when he was at spring training uh, with with the with the Nats back in uh, March and uh, February and March, he he told me he thought they were just gonna be separate. Like they were just sort of like you know they'd be there, but they wouldn't be really working with anybody, and they'd be kind of cast off. But he said they were like integrated all into the workouts and stuff. And so it seems like now there's I think that sort of helped him see there's more of an I guess an integration at at kind of all levels um, of of the organization and sort of the way kind of the way that works so I guess from that perspective maybe he uh you know he's he's kind of you know seen that but again I he, I didn't ask him directly about uh what you know maybe what because again I don't know he probably didn't you know wouldn't have known what it was like in the past or at least not not to that extent well, well, what is what, what is Trey's immediate outlook I mean he'll probably spend the rest of the season in Harrisburg right uh, uh I mean possibly but again like we, we you know like like we said earlier it was kind of a you know, kind of a little bit of a surprise that he got called up uh, when he did. But, you know, given the Nats' uh, lack of depth at third base, to, to put it nicely, <laughs> um, you know, he he's probably going to stay at double-A. But inevitably, I think the Nats are going to trade Jamer Candelario because he's had a nice season and he was like a he was like a reclamation project. And, they're, you know, the you know, one-year deal, they'll probably trade him for, for, for decent – assets at the deadline so that'll open up a spot at third base and i'm guessing they would probably as long as he's not injured they would elevate carter keyboom uh but you know who knows if he's injured so if that happens maybe that opens the door for him to move to triple a maybe if brady house is also ready they move brady up to uh, house up to double a and then trey goes to triple a as a result you know so trey said he's just kind of rolling with the punches at this point he's got like no real you know i guess expectations are like you know kind of you know, idea as to what, you know, is going to come next for him. Cause well, he's, he's just kind of, it just keeps changing. Well, it's nothing he can control. So there's, there's, there's no point in worrying about it. Right. So, 
but how does he fit? Do you think in the Nats' overall rebuild? Like he is a hmm. one one of their better prospects at third base, but but is he a piece that could be moved for uh, for another player as part of this rebuild? I I think yes, maybe not initially. Uh, because again, like I said, they just have so little depth at third base, and he, given that again, he is a college player uh, versus Brady House, who was first round pick out of high school and also had a little bit has a little bit of an injury, uh, you know, injury history that sort of slowed uh, slowed him down last year. Uh, I think if Trey does make the majors, he probably would actually make it before Brady House would, so he would maybe be like a, you know, st- I don't want to say stopgap, but he would be like just sort of a just sort of a, a third base, you know, like a like a everyday third base option for a little bit until the top until Brady House, you know, their their top prospect gets up, gets integrated, and then maybe he becomes like a bench bat trade option. But you know, like like that that's part of the thing too. Again, with him being a, a, a very such a polished college player, right? Is that he's starting from like a much higher floor and much higher base, so his he, there's not as much learning, I guess, for him to do. He's just sort of you know, doing what he's always done and, you know, tweaking things kind of around the margins. Uh, but I also would not be surprised, too, again, because he is technically not there. You know, he's their number uh, three infield prospect and number two at third base. You know, if, you, you know, maybe they, maybe they say, hey, we want to maybe try you out at, like, first base or different position, or they say, you know, okay, we you're you're clearly decent and – but Brady House is our long-term plan, so we'll flip. You know, we'll, we'll attach you in a rebuild or a, a trade a couple years down the line. But I think it's a little too early to, you know, flesh that out. Obviously, specifically, but he he definitely seems like he's got at least a. If he can t- continues on this path, he's got at least a little bit of a spot maybe in the Nats' future. And again, I don't know about long term, but at least short term. Uh, anything surprise him about the whole? minor league professional baseball experience uh he again he hasn't really said not much not much at this point again because when he was you know he he said a lot of what got him prepared was playing in the sec when you know when, when tennessee that his senior year the 22 team was they were the number one team in the country they were one of the best uh one of the best of the best that year and again it's like especially from from him playing in the sec there you know he's going through the gauntlet every night and he's so he, he's kind of in a way that's almost you know, made, made, made this transition to minor league baseball not as difficult for him. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, there, there's, I guess, more, it, it's your, it's your full-time thing, right? It's not like at, you know, at Tennessee where he also would have had to juggle some school stuff, but, you know, he, I guess he, he just devotes, I guess, more hours to it, or can devote more hours to it now, but aside from that, it's really, he said it was pretty, you know, pretty easy, um, didn't didn't take a ton of adjusting, I, and I mean as you can see with how he's played and how how he's just moved up. All right, uh, next week is the um, Major League Baseball All Star Game. Uh, with it now comes the Major League Baseball Draft. That uh, they've sort of combined the two into into the same week. Uh, Joey McManus of Catoctin has been on scouts and teams' radar for for some time now. Uh, what are the chances of him? he's going to Maryland? He's he's committed to Maryland uh, and seems very happy with that choice. But what are the chances he gets drafted high enough to where he might rethink that decision? I don't know if the, if he would get drafted high enough to rethink that decision because I I did talk to him this week and you know he said like like, like you mentioned like he was very happy with you know with Maryland even with even with the coaching change he seems you know seems to really like it there and. You know, want to go there, and again, I, 
uh, again, unless we have a Mason Albright situation where, you know, somebody swooped, you know, like how the Angels swooped in with a, what was it, a million, like 1.25 million in the 12th round for Mason. Which which was like unheard of. Yeah, like unless something like that happens, I, I don't know if a team would take him high enough. Unless, again, someone really wants to reach in like the first or second round that I, and that I don't see. Um, but, you know, it, 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 I, I think there's a decent chance he does indeed still get drafted, even if teams know that he, you know, seems, you know, seems happy going, you know, if he, if he doesn't, or if he does, and then just says, I want to go to Maryland. Um, but I, I think, I think from his perspective, and, you know, he's kind of alluding this to me when we were talking is that, you know, it, especially if you, you know, if you go to Maryland, Big Ten school, good competition, you know, you get three or four years there and your draft stock could seriously improve, especially, um, you know, especially with the way Maryland, Maryland's got a new pitching coach this year who's pretty well regarded. He was, came from over from uh, James Madison uh, with, with, the, with the new coaching staff. But I, 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 I don't I, – I think there's a good chance he gets taken – probably one of Monday or Tuesday, which would be rounds three through 20. I don't know how high it would be. Again, if teams, you know, seem, if teams wouldn't want to take a chance on, you know, uh, him, him going to Maryland. And again, again, like you said, like, like he told me, he seems, you know, he, he, he really likes Maryland. Uh, highest draft pick ever from Frederick County out of high school is uh, Brandon Klein, a six round pick back in 2009. Could McManus could still be the highest Traffic out of high school from Frederick County. Yes, and so and scouts had been telling him and telling Mike Franklin uh, throughout the spring that you know he could be as high as a day two pick, which again is up, is up to the third, as high as a third rounder. Um, again, I don't, I don't, wouldn't, ex- especially again if teams teams know that he he seems to be liking Maryland. I don't know if they would take a chance on him that high. Uh, and he's not like if you go to any of like the prospect ranking boards, he's not listed uh, anywhere in like the top you know two hundred or. 250 whatever whatever they break it out to um and again because i think they know he's uh he he seems to like maryland but you know again stranger things have (laughs) stranger things have happened so we'll have to see Uh, how much how much risk do you think there is of him going to maryland and potentially turning down uh being uh, a draft pick and whatever salary slot that comes along with it uh pro i i don't i don't i don't know if i'd say risk but like i think it's it seems more likely now than than not. Um, I know a couple weeks ago I was talking with him and he said he was still kind of fifty fifty. Uh, but uh, when I talked to him uh, the other day, he said, you know, he's still he's leaning a little more towards Maryland now. Um, and I know they, uh, I know all their like summer summer workouts and stuff are coming up soon too. So and like I mean, he's gonna have to you know obviously make a decision in fairly short order because I believe the draft signing deadline I think is two weeks after the end of the draft which I believe is the would be the 25th so um you know if again like I said unless he's unless a team is maybe reaching in like the third or fourth round I don't know I don't know if it would be enough or if it would be worth it and even then would would it I don't even know if it would be enough um even if they do take him there but at the same time like he just watched one of his uh former teammates uh, mason albright uh, so, sort of uh be surprised by by having the angels uh, m- make him a huge um si- signing bonus offer uh even though he was a 12th round pick so uh it, it should be it should be a, a, a fascinating week uh w- w- with mcmanus and and we'll, we'll see how difficult his choice is is it is it an obvious 
hey, I'm going to Maryland. Because if he goes to Maryland, he's there for he's there for three years. Like he he can't re-enter the draft until after his uh, junior season. Much like Brandon Klein, who we must say improved his stock. He was a sixth round pick out of high school. Uh, he was a second round pick, 65 overall after after three years at the University of Virginia. So I, I think more often than not, your stock improves, and it likely will with McManus potentially significantly. Um, but but there is a there, there is a bit of a risk because if you blow your arm out in college, then then you're not going to get um, drafted as as high, <coughs> as high as you might have been. So uh, it should be fascinating to watch. Alexander, thank you. Uh, and when we come back, uh, what is a ghost hound and what is the future of minor league baseball, affiliated minor league baseball in Frederick? Uh, we'll ask general manager Andrew Klein next here on The Final Score. Well, since his last appearance on the podcast, my guest this week has only gotten a little busier in his day job. Andrew Klein is not only the general manager of the Frederick Keys, he's also the GM of the new Atlantic League team in town, the freshly named Spire City Ghost Hounds. It's a pleasure to have you back on the program. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me, Greg. It's great to be here. Uh, Putting in a few more hours in the office these days, huh? Yeah, a little bit. You know, got to make sure everything's running smoothly for two teams, so... Do what you got to do in that sense. Yeah, I mean, a lot, lot to get here to. Uh, what, what has sort of been the general public reaction to having a second minor league team uh, here in Frederick, albeit another unaffiliated team? I mean, it's been very positive. We've been able to really get in touch with the community. Uh, obviously, Frederick is known for being a big baseball community. We've had baseball here with the Keys since 1989. And so being able to provide more baseball for the community throughout the entire summer and as many games as possible has been really great for us. Yeah, both teams are run by uh, Attain Sports. Uh, why did Attain sort of feel like another team was was needed here? Uh, well, like I said, with the, uh, with the draft league, we've dropped down from our previous 70-game schedule. We only had a 40-game schedule the last couple of years here with the Keys. And so trying to find an opportunity to give more baseball to the community, more opportunities for people to have things to do on those summer nights. And the Atlantic League happened to have an opening. And so we were able to kind of jump on that opportunity and become a part of the Atlantic League and bring professional baseball along with amateur baseball to Frederick. It's roughly double the number of home dates, right? You went from about 40 home dates. Now you're over 80, right? Yeah, we uh, we went from 40 games with the Keys, which we still have, to 88 games now. Uh, with both teams. So it's 48 games with the Atlantic League, which is about 75% of what would be a standard home schedule uh, with it because it's a 126-game home and road schedule with the Atlantic League. I I imagine the city was pretty receptive to having a second team and and, and filling up the stadium on on more dates. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's been great. Uh, The the biggest uh, thing that we've run into is just making sure people are aware that there are two teams and that it's not just the Keys or just the new Spire City team, but Beyond that, once people have come out to the games, they've been real receptive. They've been really impressed by what the quality of play is and everything that's been going on here at Nemeo Field. So we've been really excited to be able to provide that. Has there been a lot of confusion over the two teams uh, among the fans? Uh, There's been a little bit. I mean, again, in, in any industry, in any business, whatever you want to call it, Starting something up that hasn't been there is always going to have a little bit of effort to make sure you can help educate everyone. And when you've already got an established team and an established brand, you're working a little bit more on top of that. So the the nice thing is we do have the keys still and they're not going anywhere. And so 
we already have that established fan base. And so we're able to kind of reach out through not only the new means that we have with everything that we've been doing with the new team, but also be able to use some of the elements that we have with the keys to kind of make sure that the people who are excited about baseball know there's more opportunities, even when the keys are on the road. Uh, aside from maybe a few more sleepless nights uh, for you, what, what are the big logistical challenges to running two teams? I mean, the big logistical challenges are really just wear and tear on the field is the, one of the biggest things. We got a brand new field put in this past off season right after the key season ended. And we went, like you said, from 40 games to 88. And so not only were we working against that, but finding off days to take care of the field, whether that's the chemical treatments, whether that's just the mowing and the standard stuff that you would do. So the field itself, doing everything we need on that, and then finding different opportunities with being able to give workouts to the guys, splitting time if they're ever in town at the same time, which doesn't happen often, but has happened once or twice, especially when the keys first arrived uh, in the middle of June or at the beginning of June. And then uh, sharing a clubhouse. We've invested a lot of money into putting a lot more storage in the facility and additional storage in the clubhouses so that the guys know that their stuff is taken care of and secure and safe even if they're on the road and the other team is using the same space well was scheduling a bit of the night of a nightmare with with, with both the teams because you got to have open dates for for both teams to play yeah i mean it, the Atlantic League was really good with working with us on that obviously when everything officially took place and was announced and we were able to let people know that the Atlantic League was coming to Frederick. The Frederick Keys calendar was already out there. Our schedule was out there. And so they worked with us. Like I said, as a normal situation, we would have had 63 home dates, but we only have 48. And so we've been able to work with some of the other teams and with the league itself in terms of making sure that the team is going to not be abused by being on the road too much, but also we're going to be able to accommodate the fact that we do have two different organizations using the same facility. Why why was Frederick such an attractive city to the Atlantic League? I mean, I think it's for the same reasons that it's been an attractive league to both the Draft League and the Orioles and affiliated ball prior. It's a great community. It's a great baseball community. It's a suburb of both Baltimore and D.C. It's got a lot of access to, uh, again, highway access, airport access. There, You can name the reasons. It's so many things. And then, like I said, the fans themselves, uh, whether we've had the Orioles over the years, whether we moved to the Draft League, which is a different type of baseball with the amateur guys, and now moving into the Atlantic League, the fan base has never wavered in terms of wanting to come out and be at the games. And so that, on top, I'd say, um, as the highest among all of it, would be one of the biggest attractions for everyone because at the end of the day, people want to come to games and want to be entertained. And being able to be at the games and see good baseball is the top thing. Well, well, was there any concern about uh, confu- you, you, you mentioned potential confusion with the fans. Was there any concern on the Keys part or the Atlantic League's part? Hey, there's another team in town. Like, how are the te- how are fans going to make heads and tails of of, w- of what they're seeing and separating the two teams and, and, and all of that? No, I mean, I we knew going into it that there was going to be a little bit of that in the entry point. I mean, we even, we went out there with question marks on our jerseys to start the year. So, I mean, we knew that we were going to have questions and we were going to have a little bit of unknowns. One, because it's a new league for us, even though it's in the 25 years in the, the Atlantic leagues existed for 25 years. But then second, it's just, again, I I keep saying it, but it's one of those things where at the end of the day, over the, since 1989, when the Keys first got here, we, this community has proven that we are able to sustain baseball and people like coming out and coming to games. And so 
we, we can get through that kind of confusion to make sure that people have as many opportunities as possible. Right. Uh, you, you just mentioned it. The Atlantic League team just just announced its name uh, very recently here. It played almost the first two months of the season without a name. Uh, first off, why was the name delayed from 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 starting the season is is the is the ghost towns yeah i mean everything was kind of working in fast forward if you want to call it that we officially i'd say i found out that the team was going to be here in frederick in late november and then we announced it publicly and then we wanted to go about things the right way we didn't want to do things halfway just to get it out there and to get in front of fans. We wanted to do things the right way because we expect to be here for a long time and be able to be a part of the community proper. And so in the beginning of January, we started our Name the Team contest, which we partnered with the Frederick News Post for. And then we were able to narrow down the names and have the vote on the final five. And in all of that, we still had to work on obviously logo design and uh, the jersey design, hat design, all the things that come with it. And the decision was made that it would really make the most sense to start the season kind of with a a holder logo. We had the question mark. We have a Maryland flag logo that we are using still to, uh, for portions of stuff. And it would, rather than rushing something out that we're not proud of, we'd prefer to start a little bit later with the actual name and be able to do that. Plus, just the way things kind of scheduled and everything else. We, we started the season on the road. It's not fun to start a brand new identity on the road and things like that we want to be able to do that for the home crowd and so between timelines and everything else it just made the most sense to kind of delay it for, until we were able to get it and do it the right way yeah dot all the i's cross all the t's stuff like that H mm -hmm. how did fans feel about the nameless team the question marks on the jerseys what what reaction were you getting there i mean a lot of people they thought it was funny they thought it was unique i mean we knew at the end of the day, as long as people are talking about it, that's the most important thing for that identity, just because, again, with it being brand new to the area, if you can get people talking about it, that's going to be valuable to us because that means they're going to be curious. They're going to want to know what's coming next. Why are you the question mark team? Why are you uh, waiting until June 23rd, which was supposed to be the day until June 24th when we had a rain delay? Uh, but why they... It worked out for us in that way just because it helped get the conversation going and get people interested and intrigued about what everything was going on at the stadium and with the new team. Was there a portion of the fan base that liked the nameless team? They, they liked the question marks and wanted you guys to sort of stay with that, even though that was never the plan. Uh, I haven't had anyone specifically say, like, I wish you stayed nameless. I know there were some jokes early on, especially with how, like, the Washington football team went by that name for a while about what happens if the team is winning every game and we don't want to give up the identity and didn't quite happen that way to start the season but it, it was interesting i will say in the past week plus since the name has come out it's been very interesting to see people come into the stadium we, we had very limited merchandise available that had the question mark that we put out there kind of as an unofficial limited edition merch because we had some replica jerseys we had hats we had a couple of t-shirts we put a card set out and I, as much as I'm seeing some of the new stuff now coming back to the stadium, now that people have been able to come to games, you're still seeing question mark hats show up. You're seeing that. And I was even talking to some of my people internally about, I don't think the question mark has to go away completely. It may not be the focus, but there's no reason that we can't use that on things moving forward in the next few years. And 
even this year to kind of be a, an accompanying piece to the new ghost town's it, identity it is part of the team's identity yeah. i mean you, you started is is the question marks the the the, the nameless atlantic league team how do you feel about the name Ghost Hounds? I'm excited about it. I think it turned out really well. We were really fortunate. Uh, we st- very early on back in December at the baseball winter meetings, which took place in San Diego, our ownership and our our top level management group uh, that was going to be working on the team name and everything. We started conversations with uh, Brandios, which is a company that is known for making their name really with minor league logos and minor league brands. And we kind of went through the game plan of how we were going to do with the name the team contest and things to expect and things to brace ourselves for as we kind of go through that process because one thing that people don't necessarily realize when you go through a process of naming the team is you're probably going to have some upset people along the way at least temporarily because if you submit a name and you're not one of the fi- the final five that isn't the most enjoyable feeling at least right away but being able to understand where they're coming from, what we're going to be going through, and what we need to do to make sure that we can make them feel as though just because it's not the name you submitted, it doesn't mean that your name didn't matter, and it doesn't mean that we're not listening to the community and trying to make this a part of the community, even though it's a new team to Frederick. And, and, and tell us why it's not the Frederick Ghost Towns. Why is it the Spire City Ghost Towns? Well, we first off, we wanted to differentiate, obviously, with the two teams in the building, any kind of differentiating is going to be better because we don't want to create any more confusion than there needs to be. And we know that confusion is going to become less and less every day as people come to games and people see different color schemes, different logos, all of that stuff. But one thing that really stuck out to us was no one had really explored a secondary, the, the front name on a baseball team or a sports team is the identifier. And no one had really explored a different identifier other than the word Frederick. And having been now in Frederick for the amount of years that I've been here and knowing the people in this community, Frederick really loves Frederick and rightfully so. And we didn't want to take away from Frederick, but we also wanted to showcase something that maybe someone outside of Frederick may not be aware of until they find out by coming to our area. And in our name search and the votes and everything like that, the, the word Spire kept coming up. I know there were campaigns for us to be the Spires proper, Spire Cats, Spire this, Spire that. There were a lot of people who were very surprised when we put the final five team names out there and the word Spire wasn't in it. And we knew kind of in our in our back pocket that we were moving towards Spire City, but we wanted that to kind of be an extra surprise on it. And so being able to really showcase the clustered Spires, the Spires that are known for Frederick, it was something that we thought was a really cool surprise and a really nice way to be able to make even people who may not have a chance to come out to Frederick for a few years until they have the, the means and their teams in town on the right weekend or whatever it may be to kind of understand one more element of Frederick rather than just the name itself. Were you worried, though, that fans of the Atlantic League outside of Frederick might not know what Spire City was or where Spire City was? No, I mean, that wasn't a huge fear of ours because at the end of the day we do want to cater to our fans and our community and so the thing that's going to happen is our people are going to know what spire city is they're going to we're seeing it already they're embracing it Uh, it's been really fun because we've got spire city across the visiting jersey we've got some different things that it has spire city highlighted on it beyond just it being a name uh, before ghost towns but it's one of those things where i've been in this industry long enough to know you don't have to necessarily have the actual city name for the opposing 
crowd or the opposing fans to know where you are. I've worked for teams like Lehigh Valley and I've worked for the Tri-Cities Dust Devils out in Washington State. True, and, yeah. And it, as long as you are connecting with your community, the other fans are going to figure it out. They're going to know. It might take them a question, but that means they're talking about us and that's not a bad thing either so it's not an overwhelming outside of frederick like what's what is spire city i mean the people that really care they'll take the steps to figure it out (laughs) yeah and and the other thing again we wanted to find something that really resonated with everyone here and so being able to do that and being able to resonate with people here but then also create something i think it's a really cool logo that we have for the spire city piece where um the I connecting this, the word spire and the word city is connected on the logo and kind of has a little bit of the uh, the flair that goes with what's going on with the ghost towns and our fonts and our colors and everything else. I, I think it's really cool. And so it's just one of those situations where we're, we're not worried about it being confusing to the outside in that way. And I think it's actually going to help embrace some people because at the end of the day, you want people to be interested in asking questions and intrigued and even potentially buying a hat, even if they've never been here, because that's only going to make more people ask, where is Spire City? And then they talk about Frederick, Maryland, and that's great for us. And, and Spire City has been well received by the fans, even though they didn't have as much input on that as they did in the ghost towns. Yeah. I mean, again, anyone who's from Frederick knows the Spires. And so it's been really cool to see that something that we were talking about internally has really landed the way we were hoping it would because again frederick really appreciates it's everything that comes with frederick and we didn't want to disrespect that in any way but we also wanted to differentiate from the already established frederick keys and again the amount of people who had kind of sub submitted the word spire in some way or asked what are you going to do to really bring the the city into what you're doing with this new team i i think it's really it's it's been a home run yeah <laughs> there, there you go yeah. uh, 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 no pun intended right yeah. <laughs> um the, the the finalists for the names uh in, in this naming contest they were the screaming alpacas bone shakers ghost towns rail frogs and sawbones mm-hmm. were those all submitted names or did attain say these are the five finalists please vote on these names so no. how, how did the contest work? no they were all submitted names uh we actually had all five of the name submitters were at the game when we had the uh the unveiling uh we brought them all out they got to wear question mark jerseys ahead of time they threw out first pitches prior to the name unveiling and then once the name was officially revealed and they were all on the field to see that uh our ownership greg baroni and rich roberts uh, they presented the gentleman who named the team, the Ghost Hounds, with a official Ghost Hounds jersey, a hat. He got season tickets to be able to come to the games. Uh, so it was, it was a really cool thing because we were really excited about being able to have not only the other four finalists at the ballpark, but the person who named the team be able to see what they created come to fruition in person in real time. So it was really cool in that way. And, and the finalists, they just got they got the most votes. I mean, the, like sort of how did the what were the machinations of the contest? Uh, like the names were submitted and what mm-hmm. people voted on the names that were submitted or how, how did it work? Yeah, I mean, the people voted on the names that submitted. There were a few different factors. The votes were definitely a big piece of that. But then there were a few other parts that came in that had to do with just what are we able to work on and create and marketability and things that are going to really resonate both in Frederick and outside of Frederick. Uh, I mean, one of the things that we learned in this process was you want something that's going to resonate with your community, but you also don't want it to be so niche that 
nobody outside of the community has any idea what you're talking about because again if, if we can have people walking around in california wearing ghost towns gear inspire city gear that's only going to make more people intrigued and interested about what we have going on in frederick and hopefully bring people to come out and check it out because they're they like it and they see that it's cool and if you if you get a little too niche it's a little bit tougher to have that kind of thing happen did you personally have a favorite name among the five finalists so i actually so i have a history degree despite the fact that i am now a baseball gm and so I was a big fan of the Sawbones personally, just because it it was a reference to Civil War medicine, and I I grew up again. I'm history buff and Civil War, and obviously it was a great tie to the area. But again, it was very cool from my standpoint, reading the names and reading the descriptions that went into them, and understanding what was where they came from. Because the first time you read Ghost Towns or Screaming Alpacas or wh- whichever name made the finalist or didn't make the finalist you don't know where they're coming from until you read the description of what how they landed there and then you read it and you're like okay that makes a lot more sense than when i first just heard the words and so it, it was really cool kind of being a part of that process because i personally had not been a part of really a creating of a name and a team brand prior to this despite being in baseball now for decade plus whatever many years it is right yeah i want to ask you about that process in just a second but what is a bone shaker and what is a rail frog so a bone shaker is a 1800s era bicycle kind of like a penny farthing with the big wheel and it's a a bicycle that has no shocks so it shakes your bones as you're riding down the the road or the path whatever it may be and what what, what was the connection to frederick there uh well we have the uh, the cluster spires race with the uh, the penny farthing bikes and so it we, we thought it was a very cool term and it, it did connect to stuff that is already going on in Frederick. And then I will say the fact that we are right next to a cemetery, the word bone shaker has a couple of extra meanings that we thought sure. could be fun to play with if it were to be the, the eventual winner. So that, that was a fun one for us. Um, rail frogs, rail frogs that has to do with the actual, uh, obviously the, the trains and the rails. And it had to do with, uh, the commerce that comes through, not just B and O railroad in Maryland, but, through Frederick itself. And a rail frog is actually a type of mechanism that helps transfer a train from one track to another. And the way that it's built, it looks like a frog. And so it's referred to as a rail frog. So it's not actually an animal, but it looks like an animal. Yeah, it's it's a mechanical means, okay. but it, it's referred to as an animal. Uh, like I said, I worked for Lehigh Valley and they're the iron pigs. Yeah. And they're named after pig iron, which is part of the process in making steel, which the steel industry is big in that area. So it, it reminded me a lot of that when we saw kind of what they were talking about. And obviously we're a big crossroads for all of the commerce that comes through the state of Maryland. So we, we thought that was a really cool idea to be able to kind of explore as well. Yeah, you've, you sort of explained Sawbones to us already. Is Screaming Alpaca, is it just the animal in alpaca? Or? No, so obviously Frederick, we talk a lot about Frederick City, but Frederick County has a lot of farmland. There are a lot of llamas, alpacas, things like that that are out there. And then one of the things that we learned through the process was, the I can't remember his name, but the first alpacas to come to the state of Maryland were brought in by the governor and that that specific governor was someone who had been a native of Frederick. So it had the connection to Frederick at the state level, but then also within the kind of 4-H community in the greater Frederick County, as opposed to just focusing on Frederick City. And so between that and obviously it, it was a very fun name. It was it was a little bit polarizing. It was odd to see how polarizing it was as the season was going on and as I was talking to people because there were people who loved it and it was their top choice and they were shocked that it wasn't the name. But there were also some people who were just like, 
I get what you're doing with that one, but I, I'm, I really hope it's not the Ace Screaming Alpacas. I, I'll be good with any of the other four, but the Screaming Alpacas just seems to be a little bit out there, which that happens in minor league baseball, but I, I understand where their thought process was on that. So it was a, a bit polarizing at times, depending on who you spoke to. We, we thought in the office here that Screaming Alpacas was the favorite and that was going to be the name. So There, there were a lot of people who thought that I had aldermen who would come up to me at, at games and they would just be like, okay, and so after you guys reveal the name, the alpaca is going to be named what? And they would just like try to see if I would like slip up and give them stuff. I think even the mayor, we posted... I think it was when the jerseys or the hats arrived, we had posted on our social media a picture of the boxes sitting in the parking lot as we were moving them. And we were like, the team's gear is here. It's it's hidden in the stadium. It won't be seen until the reveal day and stuff like that. And I think the next day, the mayor happened to be at the game and he made a comment to me. He's like, yeah, I'm, I was looking real close. I zoomed in on some of those boxes and you guys messed up because I saw Screaming Alpacas written on the side. And I was like, I'm not that sure you did. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw it. And I was like, I was zooming in too. I made sure before anything went up that it didn't have any name or identifier well, on them. Well, well, why do you think these rumors took off about Screaming Alpacas? I mean, like I said, it's a fun name. It, it fits the, the mold of what minor league baseball has been doing for the last decade plus. And one of the cool things that I don't think many people realize that we did was, despite the fact that obviously we've moved forward and we're excited about being the Spire City Ghost Towns, prior to even making the decision, one of the first things that we did as an organization was we got the trademarks to all five names. So we had the ability to go with any of them based on how the process went and how the votes went and everything like that. because. First, the last thing you want to do is go out there and say, yeah, this is an option and it becomes the most popular and you unfortunately can't use it for some right. reason. But second, we still have those trademarks, even though the name has been picked. And so one of the things I'm excited about for the future is being able to do what if nights, because we already do a lot of Jersey auctions that support charities. And we did Star Wars night already. We've got a Margaritaville night with the ghost towns coming up on the 22nd of this month. And so next year, I'm envisioning us being able to do our first what if night where we can rebrand as one of the four names and we can create the jerseys, create the hats, and we can put the team out there and say, yeah, this is what a night would have been like had we been the Rail Frogs or the Screaming Alpacas or whichever team it is. And so we have the ability to kind of play with those names so they're not a fully gone, even though we did move forward with one name as you had to do. And you could have trivia night and you could bring the question marks back, right? That's true. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's another marketing exactly. opportunity for you. Uh, and explain the significance of ghost towns uh, to us. What, what, what are the ghost towns of Frederick? <laughs> yeah, so ghost towns, I mean, the story, it, it was based off of a specific uh, haunted tale that they submitted, but it was kind of a nod to the um, the ghost tours and the haunted history of downtown Frederick and, and that kind of stuff. And then, like I said, it was another one that kind of fell into that category of us being able to embrace our neighbors with that Mount Olivet Cemetery next door. We obviously do that to a degree with the Frederick Keys and Francis Scott Key being over there. And so we we were a little bit strategic as we were going through and seeing the names that, that we wanted to finalize it to because we knew if we're going to be here long term, which is always going to be the plan, that our neighbor there, why not connect ourselves to not just the community, but the things that people see when they come up. When you hear ghost towns and then you drive to our stadium for the first time, if you're from out of town and you pull up to a cemetery on top of it, you're already being immersed in ghost towns before you've even walked inside the stadium. So it was one of those things that we were we were thinking about. We just didn't know if it was going to go down that route until it finally did go down there. So this naming process really played to your history side because connecting the names to the town, uh, you're learning about all this history. Yeah, like I said, it, it's been pretty cool. I 
I, again, I, I have the history degree, so it's not something that I'm willing to shy away from. And being able to really flesh out the ideas and understand where people were coming from was really cool for me. Right. What did you learn about starting a team from scratch? It seems like a pretty cool process. It's a cool process. Uh, as you mentioned, it's a lot of work. Um, it's I, I typically tell people that we spend the baseball season is the long hours and it's the the easy part as things are relatively on cruise control you've planned everything out and now you're just kind of making sure it stays on track you're making sure you don't have a bad weather day or whatever it may be but the off season you you've got better hours where you're going in more of the nine to five kind of hours but that's when you're planning everything that's when you're sitting there saying all right if we want to do a ben mcdonald bobblehead in august we got to get that ordered by january to guarantee it's here in time and everything else that comes with it and this off season it it was a lot of long hours on top of it. I, I didn't really have as much of an off-season as the term would suggest just because it was a lot of going through all of that stuff but then also not allowing myself to neglect the fact that we still do have the Frederick Keys and we still have right. two teams and we need to make sure that neither team is getting the, the short end of the straw when everything's said and done. Plus, on top of having both teams... We also were working on stadium renovations and things like that to bring the stadium up to speed, not only for these two teams, but for long-term future. So it's been a very busy offseason, and it's rolled into a very busy season with the amount of games. Because it's the same staff of people that runs both teams, right? Your staff is your staff. So mm -hmm. you, you have to devote time among your staff to both teams. You, like you said, you can't give one the short shrift. So, yeah. So it was, that's must have been a very cognizant thing for you that, hey, we have to do this for the keys and this for the atlantic league team all off season yeah i mean it, it was obviously with the atlantic league team being named or being announced a little bit later we were already kind of in motion with a lot of things that we were doing for the keys and once once they were committed to the keys we weren't willing to necessarily take them away that's why if you look at like our promotional schedule you'll notice it's a little bit lopsided more keys even though the atlantic league has a few more games but it's something that we've been working on and we're, we're still working on uh even I, I don't know if we've even announced this one publicly yet but like now that the ghost town name is out fridays are going to be furry friend fridays for ghost town games where we can bring where we're going to have more bark in the park style games where people can bring their dogs out and things like that so we're constantly trying to add to both teams in terms of promotions but make sure we don't take neglect either one of them because at the end of the day right now we've got 11 full-time staff members who are working for two different teams at the same time so is that is that a bigger number to detain add to your staff with mm -hmm. the second team coming on yeah we were able to add to our staff this off season in a little in a few different ways uh again everything coming a little bit later um there i'm i would assume that it's probably going to continue to add and then we have our seasonal staff and people that we always bring in so we've probably got about 20 people who are there day in and day out right now whether they're full-time or full-time seasonal and then we have obviously our game day staff and things like that but uh everyone that's in that building is working towards both teams uh, we've been I've, I've been very uh intentional about trying to make sure to not burn people out uh, like i said we used to have a 70 game schedule major league baseball has an 81 game home schedule we have an 88 game schedule so trying to figure out what it's going to take to keep people fr fresh and keep them from having a tough time, whether that's late report days during homestands or literally giving people games off so that they have the ability to have a weekend every once in a while since we, we have one weekend between June and September where we don't have games. And that's not that I'm counting. It's a coming up next weekend. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, just trying to make sure everyone is as fresh as possible because the baseball games are coming. It's, it's on the schedule. We're, we're planning. We're doing everything we need to do. And 
when the fans are there, we need to be on our best. Right. There are there are some recognizable names on the ghost towns. Uh, mm-hmm. Starlin Castro played played for the New York Yankees. He was a Washington National. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy uh, Paredes is a is a former Oriole. Um, give us the general profile of an Atlantic League player. Are these guys just hanging on for dear life to keep the the dream going, or do they just enjoy playing baseball? Like, what's the general profile? Would you say of an Atlantic League player? I mean, it runs the gamut. I mean, you get guys, especially now that the draft is coming and going this coming week, where you that you might see some roster change within the league in terms of guys who just happen to not get signed or not get drafted that had a great career, but for one reason or another are being overlooked by some of these organizations. Um, it gets referenced at times as a second chance league, uh, whether that's because a guy got injured or whether in baseball world you become an old man at 30 or whatever number they decide. And so you have guys who get surpassed by a younger version of that position or whatever it is. But one of the things that's really cool about the league is that we are it's a, it's a major league baseball partner league. And so even though it is considered independent baseball it's still professional baseball we're still in partnership with major league baseball uh the atlantic league was the first league to start doing kind of test rules that have been coming to the major leagues whether it's the larger bases and pitch clocks and things like that and so it's one of those situations where it's really cool to have kind of two sides of the coin because with the keys right now in the draft league you've got amateur guys who are starting their career hopefully going to have long fulfilling major league careers and then on the other side you've got some of those more veteran guys proven professionals that for one reason or another have found their way into this league and whether that's for a week before they get signed by a major league team and go back into their affiliated ball in some capacity or they're going to be here for an extended amount of time they're choosing to be here that's one thing that as opposed to some of the affiliated ball, even with the Orioles, the Orioles would tell them, you're being assigned to Frederick, you're being assigned to Bowie or Norfolk or wherever. Our guys, they're they're being sold on Frederick and what we've got going on here. And so it's pretty cool in that way. And then being able to kind of promote the fact that you've got a little bit more well-known names, like you mentioned, and you, two sides of a coin where we I feel like we have everything a baseball fan wants it's if you want this style we've got the keys if you want that style we've got the ghost towns if you want both styles we've got the ability to give you both games so it's pretty cool to be able to do that right Uh, i'm not sure you know the exact number but uh do you know the general percentage of guys that either break through from the atlantic league and and finally get their major league chance or are reclaimed by a major league team or or, or re-signed by a major league team do do, do you know roughly how much of the league um so in my research, when we first started, and I, I haven't really been paying as much attention as the season's been going right now just because there's been a million things pulling me in all these different ways, but I'd say there's about a 40% of the league has some level of major league experience, okay. whether that's a long-term thing, the way we talked about Starlin Castro with four all-star games and his 12-year career, uh, or a guy who had, as they say, a cup of coffee. Uh, but then beyond that, what was the number? I want to say it was 70 or 80 guys last year had been signed off of Atlantic League teams back into affiliated ball uh, in a 10-team league. And so an average of eight or so guys per year getting pulled back into affiliated ball. That's not bad. That's better yeah. than I thought. Yeah, Yeah, and affiliated ball, I mean, again, that, that might mean they're only in AA right away, but then they move up to AAA and then hopefully to the majors and things like that. But, um, yeah, it's by no means a... Um, a dead end for someone's career that they're coming into the Atlantic League. Right. 
Uh, the Ghost Hounds had a very slow start, um, but they've worked their way back up to 24 and 37, I believe, as of this recording. Uh, presently riding a three-game winning streak. You guys are taking care of your nemesis, Gastonio, which was the team you couldn't beat at the start of the season, but now, you, now you've beaten them a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Keys, on the other hand, got off to a very fast start. They've cooled off a bit. Uh, just How are things going on the Keys end of the things now that you guys have introduced this this new team? or? business as usual uh, with the keys for the most part or uh... yeah i mean it's been great the uh we uh we have a new coaching staff this year with the keys uh, so renee rivera is our manager he's a uh, I, I think three of our four coaches in the keys organization are former major leaguers and so they it's been cool he uh major league catcher for over a decade and they he this is his first managerial job i think we announced that he was our manager a day or two after he announced his retirement from playing uh, we have Jock Jones, who had a long career in the major leagues as an outfielder, as our hitting coach. We have Willie Colazzo as our pitching coach, who was in the major leagues. And then we have uh, Tervant Johnson, who um, comes from a baseball family. And he's a little bit younger than the other guys, but he's been great to have as well. So it's been very good bringing in these guys. And then we've had, like you said, it started off really hot. And it's been it's been fun watching them. It's In my opinion, it's been kind of the strongest keys team under the draft league umbrella in these three years to this date uh, that we've had. So it's been cool having that. How, how is the draft league being received in year three still? I mean, attendance is still great. People are still coming out. Uh, again, it, like I said, it's kind of that one, two sides of the coin for people. The, the biggest thing that we have to work with that is different from when we would have been high a in the carolina league with the keys uh or with the orioles is when you are in affiliated ball they are able to hand you a prospect list and you can say oh well the orioles top 30 prospects are these guys and number two number four number 12 whatever ones they are assigned to our team right now and so people kind of have that cheat sheet of knowing who to look for and who to pay a little more attention to when their name gets said in the batting order and whatever it is with this league people have to do a little bit more research Uh, we do everything we can to kind of promote the guys and make sure that they understand where these guys are coming from and how they ended up in this league and the the biggest thing that i think we finally have gotten through after joining the draft league is they're being invited to this league it's not just a charity or anything like that major league baseball and the 30 teams from major league baseball are inviting the guys to join this league because they want to give them one more hard look against what we view as a little bit stronger competition based upon where their conferences may have been or the fact that they're going to be using wood bats and not aluminum like they did in college and so it's it's one of those situations where we've been very fortunate with what we've had so far and it's only been getting better now in year three if fans go to a Ghost Hounds game or they go to a Keys game, will they notice much of a difference in the overall experience? Yeah, we've been working on all of that. I mean, obviously, again, we're only a week or so into the Ghost Hounds brand being out there, but uh, I'm gonna. I it's been funny just in the first week going to Ghost Hounds games. We we've got howling going on when we score runs because now we got the hounds and. We're, we're doing things differently on purpose because we do want them to be different brands and we want them to be uh, appealing for different reasons. And so you're not going to see people shaking their keys during the seventh inning stretch during a Ghost Towns game. But that doesn't mean we're not. I think yesterday we had the howl cam because we're, we're kind of leaning into that as fans have started doing that on their own. And then we're kind of exploring as many things as possible, like I said, with the, um, the Furry Friend Fridays to kind of do something extra with dogs now that we have the hound name out there and the other different promotions and so uh, they are definitely different products even off the field in terms of the stuff that we're doing with promotions and different marketing.
So, so people will notice a difference if they go to a Ghost Towns, mm-hmm. or you want them to notice a difference if they go to a Keys game as opposed to a Ghost Towns game. Yeah, that's our yeah. hope, at least. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, the future of all this, I, I want to ask you about that, because uh, Attain, on a number of occasions, is has stated that the goal is to bring an affiliated team back to Frederick. I, mm-hmm. I presume that remains the overarching goal to all this, yeah. to bring affiliated ball back to Frederick. Uh, where, what can you tell us about where that stands right now, and, and, and what are the plans right now with, with Nimeo Field? Yeah, so as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we did a, a good number of renovations this offseason. We replaced the, the actual playing field right after the season ended, so they're playing on brand-new turf this season. Uh, which was a nice investment. But then beyond that, we've with Nimeo Field, we added in a brand new sound system in partnership with the city. Uh, I mentioned we talk, we added a lot of new storage to this facility, both in the clubhouses and in other areas. Uh, if, if you walk up to the stadium itself, you'll notice that the, the chain link fence that was at the front gate is now wrought iron, and we've updated that along with the, the fence line down by our courtyard area. And then the courtyard area and the uh, the merch area, they're both now permanent pavilions that we've built as opposed to the tents that have been standing there. So we've been making a lot of investments in, in the short one-off season. But then we, um, long-term, our ownership has signed a new lease with the city of Frederick. We have a 10-year lease that has two five-year options on top of it. So hopefully that means we'll be here for 20 years plus. Uh, but then beyond that, we are also working with both the city and the Maryland Stadium Authority towards getting the upgrades that are needed in terms of the field and the stadium to get us back up to what's considered PDL, professional development license standards, so that we can be able to host an affiliated team again. And so it's been very exciting because we've been sitting in on meetings with the um, the stadium authority of the city and kind of getting that process started, which is, it's going to take a little while. Obviously, everything takes time, but the fact that the process is moving and the fact that the stadium authority back in the legislative session of, I guess it would have been spring of 2022, passed a bill uh, that fund, that included $200 million to be used towards minor league baseball stadiums in the state of Maryland. And so we, like I said, we're working in partnership with Maryland Stadium Authority so that we can make sure we have access to the funds that we need so we can get our stadium up to today's standards as opposed to being at the standards of when it was built. So that $200 million goes to Frederick, obviously. It goes to Bowie, Aberdeen, and Delmarva, or th- th- those four teams? Those four, and then uh, Southern Maryland and Waldorf would also <coughs> okay, have right, the ability yeah. to get yeah. to that as well. <coughs> okay, gotcha. gotcha. Uh, and, and you're working with a noted stadium designer, right? Um, yeah, Jenna Marie Smith. Yeah. Yeah, so Jenna Marie Smith, uh, we're working with her firm and her people as well as her personally. I've met with her multiple times, both over zooms and in person uh and so she uh she made her name really she was the architect that designed camden yards and has since worked at ed smith stadium which is the Orioles spring training facility she helped design some minor league stadiums like the uh i'm gonna butcher it woochester Worcester, uh massachusetts uh what Pawtucket moved to uh the woo Sox, as they're called which is much easier to say especially right. if you're not from <laughs> the area yeah. Uh, she's worked with the Red Sox proper in, at Fenway Park, and I believe for the last 10 years she was working with and still continues to work with the Dodgers. So she she's really made her name in the baseball industry, and our ownership has gotten into partnership with her to make sure that we have her mind helping us with what we're going to be doing here in Frederick. So so to be clear, there won't be a brand-new stadium. The plan going forward is to renovate uh, Nimeo Field and get it up to the standard you need it to be. Yeah, the plan is to renovate the current stadium at Nimeo Field. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a chicken and the egg situation because you, you, you sort of need 
um, the, the stadium to attract the team, but but you don't want to put the um, uh, cart in front of the horse and and do all these changes and invest all this money without sort of some assurance, right? That you're, you're going to be back in the affiliated uh, baseball game, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, one of the things that's very beneficial for us is that, like we I mentioned previously, our ownership also owns the Bowie Bay Sox, which is the Orioles AA team. And so we are in communication with Major League Baseball, uh, the Orioles specifically at times, but then Major League Baseball proper in terms of kind of making them aware of the things we're doing. And it it was one of those situations where, if it wasn't for the current state of our player amenity side of the stadium, the Orioles would have still been here when the contraction happened. But unfortunately, that was kind of the breaking point when the numbers were being contracted and it was going from 160 to 120. And so the fact, like I said, it's always been a very appealing place for affiliated ball, Atlantic League, independent ball, draft league ball. We're a very appealing location for a number of reasons not the least of which being our fan support. And so it's just one of those situations where the fact that they know what we're doing, we've we've reached out to a um, a group, an architectural um, group called Ewing Cole, who is known for doing a lot of the specific uh, PDL assessments to make sure that teams are doing what is expected based upon Major League Baseball. So we're not just uh, repairing things in the dark or blindly. We're we gave we had them assess us as though we were still affiliated and give us what type of um, what gaps we have so that we can make sure that we fix those and can get ourselves back up to not just the minimum standards but above those minimum standards so that we can bring in a team. And then the other side of it is just we've been very um, intentional while speaking to whether it's the stadium authority people, the city, whoever it may be, about the timelines and the game plans that we have that we don't want to interrupt baseball season. There's ways to go about doing these types of projects and these types of renovations where you can do a lot of stuff in the winter and then you can kind of set yourself up for things that are not going to impact the field and the fan experience and still be able to continue working during the baseball season. So we're kind of putting all those plans in motion too as everything kind of gets going on that. So so you definitely don't want to find a, yourself in a scenario where there's no baseball being played because work is being done on the stadium. Like you don't want to, inter- right. the, there's, there's no plan to interrupt uh, any f- future baseball season. Correct. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, again, there, you don't bring in two teams and all the games and then immediately interrupt it by having to have a construction project that's only available during June and July or something like that. So we're, we're definitely going to be working with that scheduling. How are the stadium renovations being paid for? People might want to know. Uh, so like I said, the uh, the $200 million bill that the stadium authority had put forward at the state level, uh, that is the the funding piece of that. And then okay. obviously our ownership and others are going to be contributing in other factors. But the, but, the, but it's not a big public ask here no. to, 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 to no, renovate, like I, re- renovate the stadium. No, like I said, the, the $200 million has already been approved at the Maryland okay. Stadium Authority level. So it's just a matter of how much are we able to get access to for the renovations we need and things like that. Okay. Uh, generally speaking, you don't have to name names, obviously, but but is Attain talking? Are they in talks with any major league teams about bringing an affiliate here? Uh, can, can you say? I mean, like I said, our ownership has the ability to be in communication with major league proper and specifically the Orioles at this point just because of our relationship with Bowie and that kind of thing. Um, I don't have any specifics that I can give in that sense, yeah. but again – Every all of the like you said, dotting your I's and crossing your T's, everything's being done 
at the appropriate level to make sure that we're, we're going to not be doing anything in vain. Okay. And the other unanswerable I probably have to ask is, do you have a time frame for, for when we might see affiliated ball back in Frederick? Like I said, a project like this, it's, it's tough to say just because you don't know how long a construction project is going to take, especially a renovation. Um, my hope is that it's going to be in the next few years that we have everything up and running and being able to be able to bring back affiliated ball. But I, I really wouldn't be able to give any kind of timeline at this point when we haven't even kind of outside of having conversations with the state and authority in the city, we haven't even gotten the process started yet in that sense. Right. It, it sounds like this, even though you're working long days and, and you haven't had much of an off season, if at all, and, and you haven't had many days off, uh, it, uh, if at all, like, it sounds like it's been a very rewarding process for you, Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, again, it, I've never been a part of doing a brand new brand and bringing a team to an area. I've joined already established ones. And so it's been really cool to be a part of that. But then, I, I've personally kind of, I've told people in one-on-one -on -one conversations that my goal in taking over GM and being kind of in the position that I'm at right now has been being able to help lead Frederick back into that affiliated era and back into the next era of baseball here in the community. And so being able to be a part of this and knowing that that's not just a pipe dream that those things are in motion and are moving forward. It's been really rewarding even at the early stages of that. Is there a game at the park pretty much every day of the week? Um, every week? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we get a lot of Mondays off. Both teams like to have Monday off days, although I've I had mo the last two Mondays we've had games with one of them being the 3rd of July and just spacing and that kind of thing. I believe the number, if my memory serves correctly, was 88 games in 131 days. Okay. So <laughs> it, it's a lot of baseball, but again, you, you go through it and you get through your spring and summer, and then you find a vacation spot that's warm in December to right. take the family out. <laughs> well, there you go. I don't want to get you in trouble here, but do you ever get sick, like sick of baseball? Like this is too much baseball for me. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say sick of baseball. I mean, it's one of those things that like, when you interview somebody who potentially wants to work at the stadium, whether that's full-time, part-time, whatever it is, yeah. they, they bring up, you're like, why what interested you? And oh, they always say the first thing is, I love baseball. It's like, well, I know that part already. You didn't have to tell me that. I right. honestly would hope that you don't love it as much because I need you to work. I need you to not right. be watching the game nonstop. <laughs> but uh, honestly, the, the thing that, and I don't know if my kids would get mad at me for it. The thing that I get the most, like I I've lost the shine on is like the fireworks. Like yeah. if you're ever at a, a game when the fireworks go off, like I'm down there helping coordinate the actual fireworks going off right as they start from the field with the radios and stuff like that. Even while we have the show of announcing the, the light switch kid and everything else that's going on. But then I'm wandering through the field while the fireworks are going off. Everyone's looking up and I'm standing at second base with my phone out, taking pictures of the video boards and taking pictures of the things that need to have documentation because you have a sponsor or whatever it may be. You're, you're working while everyone's yeah, watching still fireworks. Yeah. I, I think I told somebody, I basically, I pay attention to the last fireworks show of the season because I know I've, I'm almost done with the season. And so it's time to finally pay attention to it. But other than that, I'm kind of running around coordinating because most nights we, like I said, I'm taking pictures of the sponsors stuff because their name goes up when the fireworks are going and I'm helping coordinate to make sure that we're set up for kids run the bases once the fireworks end because we do that every night and kind of 
taking a look at the outfield to see if we're getting a lot of debris because we got to clean up the field before we leave that night because usually it's a quick turnaround for another game the next day. So I'm, I'm doing a few different things while the fires are going on, even though everyone else is looking at the sky. Uh, so I imagine the 4th of July, which we just celebrated this week, has become a big snooze fest uh, for you, right? <laughs> it's just fireworks. It's like you, you're, you're an old pro at all that stuff. Yeah, it, it's funny. This year wasn't as many as I'm used to, and that was with scheduling three fireworks shows in four days. And, we with the ghost towns coming in and having a game on both days we were very um deliberate in deciding that we wanted to do a day game for the ghost towns on the fourth kind of in the same vein that the nationals do a day game out in dc and give everyone the opportunity to go to baker park go to the big city show rather than trying to compete with them on that we know right. our sweet spot's the third yeah so by the time i I think we were done around seven o'clock. We had a four o'clock start and I, we were done around seven by eight o'clock. I was at home and I was grilling and my, I was just watching my neighbors shoot off their fireworks from home. And I was like, that's good enough for me. I'm fine. Yeah. You, you've seen a few fireworks yeah. uh, 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 over the course of your time. Uh, so earlier in your career, when you were scraping gum off the bottom of, <laughs> of seats, so ever think you'd be the GM of two baseball teams? No, I mean, not at the same time. Right. I mean, yeah. you never know if you might get that opportunity twice. But how, I, how unique are you in that sense? How, how many two GM guy, um, guys are there? I honestly haven't looked that part up. I know there are people who are more so president of multiple teams. I, I know one person that comes to mind is a gentleman named Chris Jones, who he's the president of the team in Lynchburg, Virginia, who was with us in um, the Carolina League. And he also, I believe, has that same role with the um with a team in colorado the um the rocky mountain vibe so i know we're facebook friends i see him jet setting back and forth between virginia and colorado based on the time of year and what's going on but typically a gm is the person who's on the ground and at the games and so it's a lot rarer to have that being a dual team thing because not as many teams are doing what we're doing where you've got both teams in the same facility so it's it's an interesting thing that i hadn't even thought about like if there are others that are kind of in that same vein as you me. might you might be the hardest working guy in baseball do you know that i mean i, I wouldn't call myself that <laughs> but uh, i mean I'll, I'll take it as a compliment but i'm sure there are people doing a whole lot more usually it's the person scraping the gum off the bottom of the seats that's the harder person hardest working person in baseball <laughs> Andrew Klein, uh, general manager of the uh, newly named Spire City Ghost Towns and the Frederick Keys. Uh, pleasure having you on, sir. Uh, w wish you all the best going forward. Yeah, thank you so much, Greg. Hope to see you at a few games this year. Yeah, I, I hope to be there. So, uh, well, that will do it. That will do it uh, for us this week uh, here on The Final Score. My thanks, as always, to producer Graham Cullen for uh, putting the podcast together and to my colleague Andrew Dacey for coming on and talking Frederick County sports as always. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here next week here on The Final Score.